This is a Rooster Teeth production. On June 6th of 1992, two freshly graduated high school students disappeared without a trace. Authorities immediately began searching for Stacy McCall and Suzanne Streeter, along with Suzanne's mother, Cheryl, but they were never found. Today, we analyze the puzzling case of the Springfield Three. This is Red Web. Welcome back to Red Web, another mystery Monday for you all. I'm Trevor Collins, and with me, potentially with the gut check, as always, Alfredo Diaz. Ooh, I mean, I just don't know what to say. Yeah, I um, know it's you know it's pretty uh, cut and dry. Got a disappearing seems act. Pretty straightforward. Um, very interested to see what mystery is wrapped around this disappearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, right? Two high school kids, and then the mother. Yes. So we have uh, we have a lot of names here in alliterative. So there's a lot of S names. So I'm going to go ahead and outline this real quick just for clarity down the way. But we have Suzanne Streeter, a.k.a. Susie. We have Stacy McCall, who is Susie's friend. And we have Cheryl Levitt, who is Susie's mother. Just so uh, there, we don't get confused later on. But that's that's Got who we're working it. with. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of S's. <laughs> But yeah, so we're going to break down kind of what the story entails with this disappearance and the investigation thereafter. And then we have a couple of theories that we want to tap into, but the key information is going to be in the suspects, as you can imagine, with a case like this. Right. We'll, we'll kind of dive into those and and give our opinions of what what we think along the way, as well as what the police thought. I'd be very interested to see how um, the mother went missing as well along mm-hmm. with if there's any type of uh i don't know maybe um blame or suspicion on the mother yeah that's interesting yeah it, it's uh it's strange you know like i do position it in the way that the case kind of unfolds where you have the two students they're doing something but then also the mother is kind of tucked in there too so without any kind of further delay let's dive into the disappearance and everything we know about that evening so on June 6th of 1992, we have Stacy McCall and Suzanne Streeter. They both graduated from Kickapoo High School. Now, Suzanne spent the early part of that evening having dinner at home with her mother, Cheryl Levitt. Now, again, we have these three. We have Suzanne, Stacy, and Cheryl. Now, Susie and Stacy then planned to spend the night in a hotel in Branson, Missouri. However, they decided last minute to stay with their friend, Janelle Kirby, instead. Now, Janelle's home was in Battlefield, Missouri, which is a suburb of Springfield, and it's about a 45-minute drive from Branson, their original destination. So they're essentially going to celebrate their graduation, as you might do with friends, staying up late, doing the whatevers. Now, in order to tell the mom, Susie calls her mom at approximately 10.30 to discuss this change of plans. The only other fact we know about these folks is later that night, still... Cheryl, the mother, telephoned her friend around 11.15 p.m. Just a chat, I suppose. And at the time, she was painting a chest of drawers and gave no indication that anything was amiss inside, outside her residence, or just in general. It seemed like everything was fine, according to the friend. Okay. So now we flash forward a few hours still, and it's about 2.15 a.m. now on June 7th. 
Susie and Stacy returned to Cheryl's residence around that time after they decided that their friend's home was too crowded. So we have a lot of changing plans and plans changing last minute multiple times. Stuff is moving around everywhere. This is a, it's a damn mess. Make up your mind. It's a mess. And these are <laughs> all secondhand accounts. Mind. Yeah, right. You got to figure out where you're celebrating. But so to recap, just briefly, they wanted to stay in a hotel 45 minutes outside of town. And then they said, you know what? We're going to change our plans. Our friend is having a get together or a sleepover of some sort. Right. Let's go over there. That makes way more sense. And then later on that night, they're like, wow, there are too many people here. We need to get some sleep. Let's just go back to my place, says Susie. Uh, my mom's there. We can kick it. It'll be fine. So they go back home, 2.15 a.m. That's when they arrive. Now, the way this disappearance was discovered is that later on that same day, June 7th, they had planned to meet with other friends at Whitewater Amusement Park in Branson. So again, they got home at 2.15. They're going to sleep sometime later that day. Going to go to the water park. Now, in the early morning of June 7th, Susie and Stacy did not arrive at Janelle's residence as planned, right? This is the friend that they were going right. to go to the amusement park with. And so Janelle says, hey, you know what? You're probably still sleeping in. We'll come to you. We'll pick you up. We'll take you. So Janelle and her boyfriend hop in the car. They drive their way over and decide to pick up Susie and Stacy. Now, on the way to their house, Janelle tried to call them, as you might do. Again, no one was answering and all of the calls went to voicemail. So they finally arrive at the house around 8 a.m. in the morning. So six hours after the girls were supposed to have gotten home. In the driveway were three vehicles, as you might imagine, because there are three people at the house, right? You have right. Susie and Stacy. Susie and Stacy. One right, car the each. High, the high school mm -hmm. kids. Okay. And then obviously Susie's mom, who owns the home, her car was there as well. So Got those are the three it. cars we have. Okay. All now, right. what was interesting, again, in addition to these phone calls not being answered, all the all the cars being in the driveway, they go up to the door and they're, they knock on the door and they notice that the glass lamp on the porch was broken and that no one was answering the door. So when they went to open it, it was unlocked. So they let themselves in, figuring something's going on. What's going on? When they entered the home, they saw the three purses from each of the women lined up in the living room on the floor. Inside the purses are the things that you might expect, right? The police found wallets, IDs, car keys, and money. It also turns out that the family dog named Cinnamon had been locked in the bathroom and appeared to be very anxious. Clearly, the dog knows something was afoot. Something was wrong, whether it was an unfamiliar face or the dog was punished in some way. You're a new dog owner, so you would imagine. Or really had to go. You know what I'm saying? I, or really had I to know go. That. You, you I know, know that. I know that face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means, all right? Someone's got to go potty. Right. Trapped in the bathroom, doesn't know how to use a toilet. <laughs> so now, to recap the three S names here, Cheryl, Susie, and Stacy were nowhere to be seen okay. inside or outside of this home. This is the point in time where the friends are like, okay, definitely something's wrong. My friends and their mother are missing. Now, while they were at the scene, the phone rang. Janelle goes to answer the phone, and on the other end is a strange male voice that starts making sexual innuendos. She promptly the? ended the call and hung up, only for the phone to ring yet again. Weird. Yeah, she answers again. It's the same male voice. Boom, hang up. This is creepy. So this was in 92? Yes. My gut tells me, uh, damn, bold, because, I don't know, I feel like in 92, you know, uh, people like the FBI or something like that can track that number at that point. I think the technology is there, you know? 
Mm-hmm. There's like wiretaps and like yeah. cell phone towers. I mean, it's it's rudimentary, but it's almost as sophisticated as it is today. It's just not as clean and digital, right? But right. absolutely they could uh, reverse search. Or you could do, what is it, Star 69 or whatever? Yeah. Oh, God. Yep. Yep. And there you go. But also, I'm glad you brought that up because the year, I don't know if we are at caller ID yet. At least the rich people might have had caller ID at this point in time. I certainly didn't have it in the 90s. But there's caller ID, there's voicemail, there's like, just to lay the groundwork of what the phone systems were like for those who might not have been around at that time. So you didn't really know who was calling, but you had little physical tapes that recorded messages and stuff, sometimes digital, whatever. So that's what we're working with, and that will come back to haunt us. So she obviously gets that second call. It's creepy. It's the same guy. She hangs up. Boom. Now, during that time, when she was in the house looking around, getting those calls, Janelle's boyfriend was outside sweeping up the mess from the broken porch light, as one might do. Just, hey, there's some broken glass on the ground. Let me just clean this up. Mm -hmm. After all this went down, they left. And that was that. Now... Several hours after this, you have Stacy's mother, the friend. Her mother, Janice, is saying, okay, something's going on. I can't get in contact with my daughter. And she's getting increasingly worried. So she goes over to the house herself. She also looks around the house and she recognized her daughter's clothes that were neatly folded on her sandals next to Susie's waterbed. She also noticed that Cheryl and Susie, both of which who were chain smokers, by the way, had left their cigarettes at the house. So we have a couple of red flags. We have their purses, their cars, and cigarettes and clothes all left behind. But no daughter, no contact, nothing. Red flags everywhere. Okay. But their purses were also left behind, you said? Mm Mm-hmm. And they were lined up, too, like on the floor in the living room. Okay. So uh, someone's sick. That or someone calculated, you know? Yeah. Uh, This seems so... um I guess kind of thought out and planned, right? Like you don't really. Yeah. Interesting. I'm assuming though, since the wallets are, if the wallets and and whatnot were there, then I guess they weren't in it for money. Exactly. Exactly. And the cars weren't taken. There was money in the purses. And you also have to think about the surrounding situation, right? The girls had just graduated like then and there, like that day, or I guess the day before. And they also had plans to be 45 minutes away out of town. And, uh, and that's, they were going to stay at that hotel, by the way, because the water park was nearby, yada, yada. So the mom was planned to be there alone. And so you have to wonder, was whatever went down here relevant to the mom being there or relevant to the daughter's graduation in some way or what? But we'll dive into a little bit of that later on. But coming back to Janice, obviously she's at the house and she is increasingly worried. She noticed a lot of red flags. And so she calls the police in a panic. I don't know why her friends didn't call the police. Maybe they were just too busy and didn't want to be held up from going to the water park. I don't know. Priorities out the wazoo, but way off in left field. <laughs> That's the weird thing. Like, why wouldn't you call any? I'm like, what? Right. Like, what are you? What are you doing there? Get the police on the horn, man. Just get them in. Get them over there. You're you're tap dancing all around this crime scene. I mean, I guess it's like high school kids right i mean you're not really thinking you got different priorities i'm assuming high schoolers out there listen up something goes down like this water park can wait (laughs) water park can wait the mall the water park whatever it is that is insane that like especially because orange julius is going to be there tomorrow it it looked like 
right? The place was broken into. Is that still relevant? Getting like, is that a modern juice place now? I don't. Anyway. What is Orange Julius? Juice Land like will be there tomorrow. Land? Okay, yeah, okay. Juice Land <laughs> makes sense to me. I was like, Orange Julius. What is this? What is this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google it. Okay, no, it's out there. It's you know, <laughs> it exists. It's still, it's still okay. A thing. So they they pulled up and mm-hmm. the house looked. I don't know. From my POV, obviously broken into. Well, hold on. All we have is a broken light outside, and you okay. would have to imagine freshly broken because the glass is on the ground. But and the door was unlocked. <gasps> but that's it. That's all you got. Uh, got I the mean, cars outside. You're like, okay, they're definitely home. You walk in, the purses are on the ground. No one's home. What the heck? Dogs in the bathroom by itself. It's weird. It's a weird situation to be yeah, in. That's so weird. You go, maybe they went on a walk and they didn't want the dog running through the home. I, I, I don't know. I don't. Uh, here's the thing. Go for it. One, it's, it's just weird in general, right? Sure. That, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. The whole situation, uh, as many of these things are, they're just... It's a tough, weird situation. Uh, that being said, I'm. I, I, all right. Here's the thing. Maybe the glass was broken already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it's just so weird to just be like, some whoever kidnapped all of them. If this was a kidnapping, was just like, ah, I'll break this glass on my way out. Yeah. So I'm assuming that was broken on the way out or something. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of theories that try to address it, and it will make more sense later. When I was going through this research i certainly was like well that's such an odd thing right odd piece of detail in my mind yeah but i think it'll click strongly once we start talking about some other things later on okay but one last piece to the story here of the disappearance is going back to janice right she calls the police and then she hangs up she's obviously right by the phone because these aren't wireless yet uh so when she hangs up she notices the answering machine is blinking and for those of you (laughs) I'm pretending like everyone's 10 who's listening to this, but, <laughs> but the light blinking basically just means there's there's a, 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 a message, a message on the machine. Right. Yeah. And uh, because there's no screen that says there's a message, it's just a blinking light. So she plays it. OK. And she later describes the message as strange. Now, here's the issue. We've already got a lot of holes in the story, but this is a big one. She couldn't remember anything more about this particular message because the answering machine then automatically erased the message once it was played. I don't know why it would do it after playing it once. Is that a setting? It must be a setting. But listen, I can't tell you how many times I have to re-listen to a message because someone yeah. kind of fumbled their phone number. Oh, 100%. That's a common That's a common thing. You, right. you got to play a message a couple times just couple to make times. sure you get every tidbit. So all we know now is that there's a mysterious voicemail. And she said it was very strange, and that's all we have. And it it feels like a huge hole in this mystery. Now, obviously, this could be anything. Could be anything. But there's speculation that the voicemail was from Janelle, as she was trying to contact the three missing women on the way over. Remember, she called the cell phones, and she called the right. house. Now, maybe that's why Janelle didn't notice a message on the machine. Maybe that's why she's like, oh, that's my message, whatever. Or maybe she thought... These are someone else's messages. I'm not going to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that it didn't come up. So it makes me wonder, is it Janelle getting a call from this person, this man, right? Who would make making these odd comments, these sexual right. innuendos. And she's like, she gets the call twice, answers both times. And then they're like, listen, we got to get out of here. She leaves. Maybe the guy calls back and that's another. Maybe that's the strange message that was left. I don't know. Because there's some hours here unaccounted for. So like like many of these cases, there's always just a, that little bit of information that that slips past everything and we just will mm-hmm. never know. Right. Well, that's the story of the disappearance. 
But there's still more to dive into, as you can imagine. We have the investigation, yep. some suspects. So let's let's dive into that now. So the police were obviously baffled. Nothing apart from the three women was missing from the house. You have the purses and everything, like just all sitting right there. There was no signs of forced entry in the home, though some may consider the broken porch light as a sign. There was no like crowbar broke window, nothing like that. The whole like porch light. I, I mean, unless unless the person that was abducting them was pulling them out and they were kicking high or something like that. Like, yeah, uh, it's just a weird piece of detail. <laughs> it's a very weird piece of detail for sure. But it's the only literally the only thing that stands out of these stories. And obviously things could be missed from these firsthand accounts. People not really going to the site with the intent of investigating. Right. They're just kind of going hey, are you here? I'm here to pick you up. You're not here. Okay, bye. You know, so it's really hard to say. And once the police finally got here, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but mm -hmm. once the police finally got here, people had already been on site. So other details that might have been looked over might have been messed with. So it's really hard to know what is a part. I don't know. There's a lot of just tampered, whether with intentionally or accidentally, whatever. Yeah. Like, people going in and out and right. And so really the only thing we can really go off of here is this broken light. And, and like I said, it is strange. But there were a couple of other potentially relevant observations made in the home. And again, these could have happened whenever, but these are things that the police thought were important and noted down. So it was determined that the teens had removed their makeup and laid in bed, which makes sense. They got home at 2 a.m., quick kip, and then go off to the uh, water park in the morning. The television was actually turned on. Now, again, I don't know if this was, because this wasn't in any of these stories from Janice or from the friends that tried to pick her up. Maybe a family member came over and tried to turn on the news and then looked around the house inside and out and just forgot it. I, I don't know, but the television was turned on. Anyway, Cheryl's bed appeared to have been slept in. Her eyeglasses were on the nightstand next to a turned over book, implying that perhaps she was reading before falling asleep. And the blinds in Susie's room were pulled open as if someone was looking outside. And I have to imagine they were broken in some way because metal blinds, you pull them open, they kind of snap back together. Right. And it's hard to know. You know, these are these are delicate blinds and maybe they were broken ahead of time. But these are the only other observations made. Now, in the following 16 hours after this disappearance went down, there were, like I mentioned, a lot of friends and families that had been coming by the house, somewhere between 10 and 20 people in total, possibly all of them tainting the entire crime scene. So there, there we have it. We, we don't know what? If, if the blinds were messed with by somebody else coming to the house, if it was pre-existing, if somebody else turned on the TV coming over to check on their family being worried. It's, it's hard to say. I'll be honest. That sounds like worst case scenario for any detective. Oh, yeah. Like you're, you're telling me like upwards of 20 people come trancing through before we are able to get on site. How do and only Janice is calling us. Come look, on. Look, I can believe that, you know, 20 people, but like 20 people went. Yeah. Right. Also that like 20 people. Listen, I don't tweet for a week. No one's coming by. <laughs> <laughs> but I but don't know. Like, I mean, it's maybe it's maybe it's just the 90s, man. Maybe it's just like how how do you know that many people? I guess if you had graduation parties lined up, I don't know. I mean, like, if you know that many people, uh, you know that many people. That's not that's not too, like, right, right, right. out there. But I don't know 20 people that would just show up at my house like that. 
To be fair, nowadays we'd probably just text, probably True. scoot one over and be like, ah, yeah, they're good. 92. Oh, God, but if, even then, maybe a couple. Mm hmm. Holy hell. These are some well connected folks. Yeah. But I guess you have two families, right? You have the mom and you have Cheryl and Susie, and then you have Susie's friends, and then you have Stacy. You have Stacy's family and Stacy's friends. So it, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. So wait, the. Hold on, the friend's mom, did this she come? Oh, God, did they come over as well? Yeah, that, that was Janice. That was Raised the one Janice. who okay. called the police, yes. Okay. A lot of names, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people coming by the house. Now, the answering machine uh, and the subsequent message had been lost. Not the machine itself, but rather the message. And the broken glass from the porch lamp had been swept up and thrown into the trash. Obviously, the boyfriend was cleaning that up. And this, again was the single possible sign of forced entry. And during the interviews, now the police are coming out, they're interviewing neighbors and friends and everything. A couple neighbors said that there was a dirty white van that had been cruising up and down the streets of this neighborhood in the weeks prior to the disappearance. Oh, no, that's never good. Never good, okay? Let's just go ahead and put this law out there. Unless you got five kids, you probably just don't need to own a van. <laughs> yeah, okay. what you need that much space for? Or, or maybe it's a work van. You got you, you plaster your your brand on the side, like Stacy's Plumbing. I don't know, but yeah, th th nothing good comes from a van. <laughs> no, not at all. Jeez, <laughs> oh god. I mean, if you need the space, get a truck. Right. But in addition to this dirty white van that has been seen around the neighborhood in the weeks prior, another neighbor actually said that they saw a brown older model Dodge van near the home in the early morning hours of June 7th. Now, in addition to this, a witness reported observing a woman matching Susie's description driving an older model moss green Dodge van later during the day on June 7th. So when everything went down, we have somebody who looks like Susie driving a slightly different, but still dirty old Dodge van. Not a white Dodge van, but a green one. This witness claims that the woman appeared terrified as an unseen male voice told her, don't do anything stupid. The witness did not contact investigators with her account until several days had passed. What is up with the people in the early 90s and not calling the police? Come on. Who? Call the police? Call the police, especially if you hear a movie line like, don't do anything stupid. Come on. Oh, You see man. someone that looks scared and you hear that line from an unseen male voice. Come on. Especially when there's active investigations. Yeah, that's a easy police call. Yeah, at this point, how long was the investigation active for? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but they said it wasn't until days later that they reached out to the investigators. But oh. they had seen this on June 7th. So perhaps they didn't know that there was an investigation just yet. Okay. Uh, because this would have been probably in the heat of the moment, right? Right. Um, so maybe these people are like, ah, you know what? I don't want to step in anyone's business. But I mean, you're nosy enough to be looking out your window at 8 a.m. Because here's the thing. Additional <laughs> witnesses reported seeing the Dodge van. I don't know if it's white or green at this point. In different areas around Springfield after the woman's disappearances. So, they're, so now they're kind of like, we have witnesses all over the city seeing this van. And now a man also told the authorities that he saw a blonde female sitting at the driver's seat of a similar van or vehicle in a parking lot of a local grocery store. This individual said that they wrote down the van's license plate number on a newspaper. So you're like, boom, ka-ching, we got this. 
Well, yep, case solved. Why did you do it? He said the vehicle seems suspicious. Excellent. There you Excellent. go. Someone's thinking worth their head. Yep, we got this evidence. So the man, as you can imagine, promptly threw that paper in the trash before contacting the investigators. Wait, what? Yep, paper's in the trash. Wait, we don't what? have it anymore. Wait, 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 what? Yep. All right, what a twist. What a twist. You know, <laughs> what a twist. if you're going to take the time to say that vehicle looks suspicious and write down the plate number. What in the Just kind of keep a hold of it, you know? You just don't know when that might turn around. Just keep it on the counter for a day. That's wild. That is wild. So he lost that. Law enforcement officials actually agreed to hypnotize him in order to try to see if he could <laughs> hypnotically remember what the numbers were. Now, he was only able to provide the first three digits. Now, that doesn't really help whittle things down because that gives you tens of thousands of options for the other three <sighs> plus digits. Yeah. Could be anything. So, and it, also those three first digits don't even have to be accurate. They, they could just, he could have just made them up. So yeah, again, we, we have a, uh, a lost potential lead. Now, uh, back to the sightings in the area, because as I had mentioned earlier, there were a lot of sightings of this van or similar vans around town, like a lot. Um, but other witnesses actually had some more concrete evidence. They had heard or reported hearing a woman's scream and squeals of a tire somewhere in the eastern Greene County area of Missouri during, again, the early morning hours of June 7th. Now, officials did go to this area and they did search to see if they could find these perhaps tire tracks or any evidence of a van nearby, but there was no evidence related to the case that was located in this area. So it's really frustrating to me, you know, we have a lot of, a lot of mistakes, a lot of holes, a lot of this and that, like, a lot You're, of people going to the damn house. A lot of people going to this house. You, you see somebody in the morning hours that matches the description of one of these girls who is looking distraught and being yelled at by someone, some guy who's unseen, at least from the witness's perspective. In this van, you see this van around town. You got the guy who wrote down a license plate of a suspicious vehicle and then threw it away by accident. Like, there's so much frustrating, like, proximity. You're so close. Yep. But much like many of these mysteries, that just kind of like the like, red webs just fall away. Right. And I mean, like you, like you said, it just seems like there's so many moments that could have blown this case open. Right. Um, but damn. Like, yeah, I think the interesting thing so far, it's it's we have all these people that have seen these things and yet we have nothing. I don't think we really had a case that. We've had so many people see so much, yet know so little. You are exactly right. That's exactly how I feel. And that's why this is so frustrating because, yes, there does feel like there's a lot of, I don't know, evidence or anecdotal evidence, right? Right. But none of it pans out. None of it goes anywhere. And the frustrating part, too, is that on top of this, and this is where I would love your gut check uh, here is that while some investigators felt very strongly about this idea of the van, right? Because so many reports came in, right? The suspicious parking job, the, the fact that we're seeing it all over the place. There's a mysterious van rolling around the neighborhood for weeks. There's a van outside the house in the morning hours. You see someone who matches Susie's description driving a van. Again, ignoring the colors for just a second, this van is popping up everywhere. So these policemen are like, wow, okay, there's something here. But the chief of police said, quote, he was never completely comfortable with that lead. What does that tell you? What? Like, why? 
that makes me feel like, I'm sorry, the chief of police is in on this. Why is a, a fantastic question. Uh, or, interesting. Yeah, because your, your thought is like, oh, is the chief of police in on this? And my thought is, does he think that the neighborhood was in on this? Like, Right. Do you think the entire city of Springfield is yeah. like, yeah, we're going to tell him we saw this van everywhere. Yeah, both are pretty bold. It's just it's just interesting. Now, I do have to give one percent of credit back to say it's interesting that we have three or I should I should say, you know, as a fellow colorblind person that we have two distinct colors, the green, the dark green and the brown can get mixed up. I can see that. But we have at least three colors being reported. And so that kind of gives a little bit of flexibility in here to say, well, maybe this van is just a red herring and that we just keep seeing vans because we're looking for it. But I don't know, with the eyewitness reports in the neighborhood, with Susie driving and the one outside the house early in the hours, uh, I don't know. I don't know why the chief of police is throwing this away. But interestingly enough, several years later, uh, in the late 90s, several officials actually charged this former, now former chief of police with impeding the investigation of the case, which Ooh. is nice to hear. Step out the way with your bad ideas. <laughs> Damn, just like that, huh? I guess so. Now, obviously I distill all of the complexity of whatever happened there and I provide some levity. I don't really know the further details of all of that. Um, but it is interesting that the chief of police is willing to say, eh, I don't know about this van talk, guys. Let's move on. But yeah. that's the end of the investigation. That's frustratingly as much oh, or I, as little as we know. Really? Yeah. Hey, everybody, it's Trevor Collins. As you come to expect me, I'm just interrupting myself as I do. Just giving you guys some housekeeping notes. You know, we have the Task Force merch available at store.roosterteeth.com. Thank you all so, so much for selling it out so quickly. Thankfully, our e-commerce team is all over it. We're refreshing the pin, the the hats, the, the shirts, and the hoodies, and everything, so that way you can stay in the task force. That's right. It isn't a first-come, first-served sort of task force. This is for everybody. So get in here, solve some mysteries, and support the show. Thank you all so much for doing so. With all of that said, I want to talk about a couple of sponsors. This episode is sponsored by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Jordan's show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest, and when they say there's something for everyone, they really do mean it. In one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing all at the same time, especially coming from the Red Web background. I would recommend checking out Jordan's conversations on humankind, a hopeful history with Rutger Bregman, and the episode entitled The Changing World Order with Ray Dalio. Both very interesting subjects. If you are interested in uh, this podcast, you might find those interesting yourself. But Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insight out of his brilliant guests. These episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom that you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away. We really enjoy the show and we think you will as well. There's just so much here. So check out jordanharbinger.com start for some episode recommendations or search The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Red Web is also sponsored by Brooke Linen. Freshen up for the spring 
with comfort with sheets, towels, loungewear, and more from Brooklinen. By working directly with manufacturers, they ensure premium, high-quality comfort every single time at a fraction of the retail price. That means ridiculously soft bedding, towels, and loungewear. Brooklinen is so confident that you'll love everything, they'll even offer a 365-day warranty. Oh, and they've got 75,000 five-star reviews, just by the way. So it's hard to argue with that. I received my sheets from Brooklinen not too long ago, and they're actually the sheets I use every day now. They're very comfortable and very smooth when I climb in. They make the going to bed experience even better. I know we all like falling asleep, and this, these are my words, I love falling asleep, but slipping into these Brooklinen sheets is actually quite extraordinary. They're very good sheets, and they're at a very, uh, very good price compared to normal retail sheets. I really do like them. Get everything you need for a spring refresh during Brooklinen's biggest sale of the year. Shop the Brooklinen birthday sale starting this weekend. And if you're listening to this podcast after the sales event, don't even worry about it, okay? We got you covered. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use promo code REDWEB to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code REDWEB to get $20 off any purchase of $100 or more. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. We have, a, we have a couple key questions here. So let's dive into the questions and some of the theories, and that might help kind of expand upon what we've got here. So coming back to one of my points I made earlier, it does seem significant that Cheryl was initially intended to be alone that night. Her daughter and her daughter's friend were meant to be elsewhere. But if Cheryl was not the target, then how would perhaps, you know, if, if Susie was the target, I should say, or Susie's mm-hmm. friend, how would that person keep up with them? How would they know to arrive at the house? Because the, the plans were changing continuously that night. And also, going back to Cheryl for a second, if it was Cheryl that was the intended target, why not abduct her when she was in fact alone? Unless, again, they were waiting for midnight or waiting for them to fall asleep or something. It's really hard to say. And maybe the moment they were going to pounce, Stacy and Susie show up. I, it's really hard to know, but I think it is significant that she was intended to be alone that night. So she was, okay, so the mom was intended to be alone. Right. And you're thinking the abduction was happening probably shortly before two. And then the daughter and the daughter's friend came home, maybe saw it, and then also got abducted as well because the person doing this had no other choice. Perhaps. Hmm. Now, if this is all getting too confusing, I can just read the question verbatim. And we can go. No, I mean, it's, it's kind of because <laughs> I kind of I kind of combine these two questions. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me because, yeah, because my initial thought was if the person was waiting to just pick up um, or abduct the mother, then why? Why force it? Yeah. Um, but but you know, that does make sense if they weren't expecting because they could have just been staking out the house, saw that the one car was there. And then, yeah, the the kids just showed up. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's basically three cases here. It's either that the mother was being targeted because someone knew that they would be alone that night, or the two girls were targeted, or that this was just a fluke and they picked a random house and it just happened to be this night. And all of the surrounding story about where people were and their changing plans had nothing to do with anything. I do think there's some significance to the the fact that the mother was going to be alone that night and the fact that the daughters had just graduated and were going to be distracted and off celebrating 45 minutes plus away. 
It makes me feel like there's something there. See, if it's targeted like that, just like why? Why wait? No, just why the why the oh why? why her? Huh. I don't know, man. I why mean, do well, people do crimes? Exactly. We'll just never. You never know. Someone just sees another person in passing, and they're not all right. there, and they just go that person. Could be, could be revenge of some sort. It could be personal in some way. Yeah, but just usually there's motive. Trafficking of some nature. Oh God. Um, yeah. I, it, honestly, there's like there's it. Why do people do crimes? I don't know. There's some terrible people in the world. Is is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Ugh. I I think it's just one of those things too, or it's just like, in my or at least from what I've heard, just watching news or whatnot. There's usually like a motive to these things. Obviously, Absolutely. obviously there are a ton of times where it's just like, ah, eh, just for, you know, wrong place, wrong time. But a good chunk of the time, it's like someone close, or there's you know, there's a specific motive to it, and it's less random. Um, Absolutely. But I guess we'll never know. No, that that is a great point because that is my next question. Like what? was the motive behind this this entire situation because when you look at it like you said there there tends to be a motive and so when the police were saying all right what is that doesn't seem like it's robbery because the house is located around other homes that appear to be wealthier or might have other things that are worth stealing or breaking into there was a significant amount of cash left in the purses right in the house and there were three cars outside that would deter your traditional burglar. I'm not going to break into a home, for for example, that have three people at home or more. So, and also people coming in late at the night. It just doesn't really seem like a robbery. And so that does tend to say, like, is this personal? And even still yet, like, how did somebody get into the home without forced entry? Does that then provide another point in the column of this was personal? Because maybe this was somebody that they knew and that they let into the house. Right. Because it was late. That or very early. I guess it was like somewhere between 2.15 a.m. and 8 a.m. Somewhere in there. I mean, that's where I'm leaning towards. Right. I mean, this just seems so clean and clinical that it's planned. And if it's planned, then it must have been specifically about or for or around the mom. And then the girls just happened to be there at the same time. I don't know. Because like, or, or it's tough. Because also like, could one person pull this whole thing off and restrain these people, right? Or pull them all out together? I mean, I guess if you have a, uh, if you're armed. Yeah, I guess that's true. Especially, I, I've noted here that they they didn't leave behind a single hair, fiber, or fingerprint. So, whatever went down seems incredibly intentional. But. We can keep theorizing, but I do want to dive into the theories that have been popularized and talked about around this case. One of the original investigators of this case theorized that the women's assailant took Cinnamon out of Cheryl's yard the night of June 6th, so the night prior, in an effort to gain access to the residence, basically coming later on and saying, hey, I found your dog, right? They would open the door. They would say, come on in, you know, whatever. Oh, damn. What a bait. Right. I'd fall for that. The officer speculated that the attacker came to the house, knocked on the door, pretending to have rescued the dog after it wandered away from the home. The investigator then theorized that one of the women may have opened the door to retrieve cinnamon and was overpowered by the assailant. Now, this is where a thought comes into my mind, and it's very much like out of the movies. But if someone's coming up, their porch light is probably on. Right at night, I I would keep a porch light on probably. Mm -hmm. um, 
or some light in general. It's just, I don't know, comfort, visibility. Right. He might walk up dead of the night with mm. the actual dog, smashes the light, knocks on the door. Right. You look out the peephole or whatever, and it's too dark to see who they are. Yeah. So if you somehow make it out, escape in some way or whatever, you don't know who it was. You don't have any way to see. So I think that's a very interesting theory. Okay. That makes way too much sense for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> then it it's wild. Because your mind just, just rushes in so many different directions. Then again, it could have yeah. been broken prior, right? And we're just overly reading into this. But I, I dude, yes. We'll just never know. We won't know because you won't be able to analyze the glass because it was thrown away. Because normally I would say you would pick up a piece of the glass, you'd look at it and you'd say, okay, does the inside portion of this glass, yep. how dirty is that to figure out how long it's been sitting there? Exactly. But man, that is such a spooky image to think like three in the morning. Hey, I, I think your, your dog was scratching at my door. You don't see who they are. You can't it's see terrifying. their face because they smashed the light out. What do you do? Because even if you open the door, that is your dog. So you're going to open the door wider. Oh, gosh, this is giving me goosebumps. Okay. Yep. So another theory that I want to dive into states that the perpetrator, whoever they were, had disguised themselves. Perhaps they had pretended to be a utility worker or some kind of serviceman in order to gain entry or some sort of easy access to the home. Uh, because, you know, I'll be real. 3 a.m. plus, I don't care if you're the best plumber in the world, you're not coming in. Yeah, hell no. But I don't know what kind of disguises could be entailed or, or how well this family knew this person. Maybe it was that close of a relative. I don't know. God. Uh, the, I think the, the interesting thing is that there just hasn't, or at least so far, there hasn't been like a, oh, this family member. I was totally expecting to hear like this family member had like, like beef with, uh, you know, with, with the mom or something like that. Or yeah, uh, I don't know, some sort of like issue somewhere. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I don't know. And that's. It's really interesting, and that's the other theory I wanted to discuss here, you know, that it was theorized that, again, this perpetrator got to the house before the girls were there and broke the light prior to their arrival, that they had gained access to the house and at that point either abducted or killed or in some way apprehended Cheryl, the mother. But they were still at the scene when Susie and Stacy arrived, and so that some sort of like, okay, ad hoc plan was initiated, right? Gunpoint, you get in the car, you drive, yeah. don't do anything stupid, you know, and that's why she looks mm -hmm. terrified because some, she knows something happened to her mom and then that comes in the eyewitness's story, like saw Susie driving, blah, 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 because the perpetrator's not going to drive if, if it's one person trying to apprehend three people. Yeah, yeah, you're going to force someone to drive for you. I mean, that's, that's straightforward right there. Yeah, and, and it doesn't seem like anybody was, or doesn't sound, just from everything that I'm gathering, that every, anyone was tied up. So it must have been some sort of gunpoint situation like you mentioned. How else could you very cleanly get people to basically do what you want and leave everything behind? You, you just stand in the door and say, put your purses over there, put the dog in the bathroom and get out, you know? I, th I think the big thing that um, makes me lean towards that is just the fact that it doesn't look like there was a sign of a struggle. Right. So I'm like, okay, you know, someone came in and boom, firearm. So at that point, just like, you know, do do what this person says. Yeah, that's spooky, man. But those are the kind of like the main theories around this case. 
Uh, but with that said, let's dive into some of the suspects. And then after that, you know, these are just some general suspects that have been in and out of the investigation. But we'll end this with some of the lead suspects and why they are the lead suspects. What kind of keeps them on the table, as it were. So first up was Susie's ex-boyfriend. That was the first suspect to be investigated. He had been arrested for robbing graves and Susie was allegedly going to testify against him. And so there lies the motive. Oh, there it is. Right. However, the police ruled out this suspect due to a lack of evidence. And then we have Gerald Carnahan, who was another suspect for a 1985 murder of a young woman named Jackie Johns. In 1993, which was a year after all this went down, Carnahan was convicted of attempted kidnapping in Springfield and sentenced to two years in prison. Dee Wampler, who was Carnahan's attorney, said he tried to pick a young woman up off the side of the road, but there was no evidence tying Carnahan to this Springfield case. But the fact that they did try to kidnap somebody else soon thereafter kind of made people go, well, is this the guy? Yeah. And then you have Bart Streeter, you might recognize that last name of Streeter, and that would be because that's Susie's older brother. He was estranged from his family and struggling with alcohol addiction. There was no evidence of Bart being a suspect at the time, but in 2019, Bart walked into VIP Nail Spa in Smyrna, Tennessee. The owner says Streeter pointed to a 15-year-old girl in the shop, claiming she was his granddaughter and was there to take her home when she what was finished. the hell? Mm-hmm. The balls. Right. Wild. Now, according to the owner, the girl said she didn't know him at all. She's like, I don't know that man. She had never seen him, nor had she ever even met him. So now I'm sure the, the shopkeeper's like, woo, alarm bells firing off, hair standing on the back of my neck. The shop owner locked down the door as soon as Streeter walked out. I would have locked the door with Streeter in there taking the girl, go to the back room, call the police. Yeah, I mean, I guess that could be like really dangerous, right? That's that true. That person's that crazy. I mean, my gut instinct was like, keep that, you know, person in there and and uh, call the police, get them. Right. Um, Jesus. I mean, yeah. he's like 15 year old. Mm -hmm. I'm 15. I knew whether or not I knew somebody. Yeah, no, that's I, uh, bad attempt. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, very strange. Uh, in fact, the girl's mother was there. She was outside and she called the police, thankfully. Um, but yeah, that was in 2019, this guy. Now, the owner asked the police, quote, why would he just come in here and say I'm waiting on her specifically? He was either watching her come in and out and watched her get dropped off and thought that the mother left because the mother did leave to go outside. And maybe he thought, you know, she walked away. And so he's like, all right, I'm going in. But ultimately, Streeter was arrested for public intoxication, disorderly conduct, and attempted false imprisonment, according to police. Now, during the arrest, Streeter was questioned again about the Springfield 3 case, but the lack of evidence led to him being dropped as a suspect. So he's very close to this case. He's the brother, and he tried to do something oddly but similar, but way what? later. Like I don't the, know. Like that's like that's what the shop owner's the saying. Whole fam. I, <laughs> I'm on their side. They're like, why would he do this? Why would he just come in and say her specifically? What is this? Even then, like, how does that cross over in a, into like abducting this whole house? You know what I mean? Like, well, uh, the relevance is that you know it's the brother of one of the missing suspects, 
And if they have it in them to potentially kidnap someone now, did they have it in them to kidnap them then? Especially knowing that this was an estranged member of this family. So there's a little bit of motive, a little bit of like... Definitely like you can't, like 100% that person should be a suspect. I just... Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I don't know, right? Because I know I would never attempt something that crazy. I'd never think of something that wild. But just trying to like think into the mind of this person how does mm -hmm. that cross over like into like redirecting it towards family I, yeah i don't know i mean what would be what would really blow my brain cell is if this 15 year old in the nail spa was actually related in some way because oh yeah i don't i mean i don't know <laughs> so those are some of the suspects that have since been removed from the suspect list due to lack of evidence but this leads us to our lead suspect for this entire case, Robert Craig Cox. Now this person was convicted for kidnapping and robbery in California, but they're also a suspect in Florida for a murder case. Now Cox has a long criminal history. I could dive into his crimes over in California, but ultimately all we really need to know is that he was convicted of accounts of kidnapping and robbery in California. And again, uh, he was convicted of first degree murder in Florida, but then was dropped from that case due to a lack of evidence. Either way, he's got a very checkered criminal past. God. Yeah. Now in 1990, this is two years before the Springfield 3 disappearance, and it's one year after his release from prison for his convicted crimes. So just to give you the lay of the land and the timeline here, two years before it all goes down, one year after prison, he moves to Springfield, Missouri where he coincidentally works with Stacy McCall's father at a car dealership. So boom, immediately we have some proximity to the victims here. So like I said, we, we have evidence now of this person who's got a very checkered past of criminal behavior, but they also know somebody involved, right? They know Stacy, who is the friend, worked with their father. Now, I think the only challenge here is that Stacy is the friend and this wasn't Stacy's house that was broken into or whatever, so perhaps they were being followed, I don't know. But this guy only gets worse from here. The police also reported that Cox sat in his truck and watched the Springfield police process the crime scene. I'm saying like on the street, in person watching the crime scene. Allegedly, he had this to say about it, quote, why watch it on television when you can watch it in person? What? Yeah. This guy's out here eating the, a turkey sandwich, watching the Springfield police analyze this house as a crime scene. Why? Uh, I was so heavily leaned into like, I mean, come on, like, of course there is, there are some like suspects with, with, um, you know, some strong suspects, but this person, I mean, just takes the cake, but then right. why just hang out and what? I guess to bask in his own, like, doing? Ego. Just to, just to bask in it, like you said. And this, uh, I mean, the person that we kind of keep coming back to that has this behavior is the Zodiac. But I think it's worth just saying, these types of criminals, I think there is a, almost a lust for watching the fallout of their activities. They, they like to see people squirm under their own machinations, and it's disturbing to say the least. Yeah. Um, but that's, again, assuming that this person is, you know, the perpetrator. But it only gets wilder from here. So 
sitting outside in his truck watching this crime scene. That's just wild. Kathy Baird now is one of a group of determined people who are trying to use the internet in order to solve this mystery or attempt to solve the mystery of the missing Springfield women. Now, Baird believes that Cox is the prime suspect. She's communicated with him and says that when he was asked how such a crime would be carried out, Cox answered accordingly, quote, if I were going to do it, I'd knock on the door and say that there was a utility emergency, end quote. In the summer of 1992, Cox actually worked as a utility locator in South Central Springfield, very close to the area that we're talking about during the summer of the year that this happened. The time frame and the location, he was a utility worker in that area. I'm freaking out. That's wild. Come on, man. He's like, literally spelling it out. Uh, I would do it this then way. I get, then again, how many mysteries have we like gone through already where people are like, openly trying to confess to being the one who did it. Yeah, and then how many of those mysteries do we come away convinced that it's that person? But law, police officers cannot hold them accountable because of the lack of evidence. And I respect that. Right. It's frustrating in a lot of niche scenarios like this, but on the whole, I don't think the general populace wants to be thrown in jail for whims and assumptions, but it's deeply frustrating. And again, it doesn't stop there. Cox continued to play with detectives, hinting that he knew that the women were dead and where they were buried, that they were buried somewhere in Springfield. Now, there's no hard evidence, like I mentioned, or like I alluded to, linking him directly to these missing women and their disappearance. So he was ultimately never charged with any crime. But dude, the the way this culminates in in such a strong suspect is like, both awesome and frustrating as as heck. Like, damn, that's the guy. Yeah, it's like that dude's bad news no matter which way you cut it. Oh yeah. Like the relevant past, the moving to the area, the working with the daughter's friend's dad, having the story that matches the crime scene, the watching of the crime scene in person, just everything about it reeks of that guy. Is that guy. It's a lot, it's a lot. a lot and it's gross but in 2007 a web sleuth named ken claimed to have a psychic encounter with the spirit of stacy this is where i start to back out a little bit but let's let's dive in just for a second let's yeah okay let's just keep going with it forcibly lean in now she had told him that the bodies were buried under the parking garage of the cox south hospital Oddly enough, it just was named with the same name, Cox, C-O-X, as the person that we're talking about. I don't think that this person owned the hospital. I think it's just a coincidence. But what's interesting is that this uh, location was only 10 minutes away from Cheryl and Susie's home. So if they were disappeared, that this could be a viable spot to dump the, the bodies. Now, what's interesting is that people took this seriously and the the location was actually scanned with ground penetrating radar. Okay, good. And the mechanical engineer that performed the scan said that he did in fact identify three quote anomalies consistent with a grave site. Two of them were parallel and one was positioned perpendicular. Now, the authorities, when they heard that, refused to dig up the site based on the unconvincing evidence and the fact that the parking garage was built one year after the disappearance. So I get it. 
you don't want to sit there and go, well, this psychic came to me, so we're going to dig up this parking garage. Uh, I was like, something tells me they're not digging this up. Listen, I don't care how you stumbled across it. Investigate. The, take the psychic off the table. The fact is, it could have been coincidence or it could be real. But regardless, the mechanical engineer themselves is saying there is an anomaly here. Yep. Three of them. And it's reminding me it's consistent with that of a grave site. That, to me, is enough as a police officer to dig in there. Come on. Like, this is a missing, per a missing person case. Like, right. Make moves. Make some moves, or I'm going to sue you for uh, obstruction of justice as well. Damn. Man. Something told me that that was not going to happen. Like, they weren't going to pick that up. Ugh. All right. Uh, it's also interesting that they're saying, well, the parking garage was built one year after. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, he didn't jackhammer through the concrete, bury them and patch it seamlessly. And one would say, okay, well, if you're building some sort of parking structure, you're going to dig deep for the foundation. And so you would find the bodies. But perhaps they didn't. Perhaps they didn't need to in this particular location. Perhaps the foundation could be dug down with posts in other areas and that this part was simply flattened and paved over. I know that would be very lucky, I suppose, for lack of a better word, but right. I don't know. What's the harm in, in blasting through there and figuring out what those anomalies are? I mean, worst case, the, it's nothingness. It's trash, and that's fine. But, man, give the family some some yeah. peace of mind, I mean, you know? That, that could have, that just could have been it. That could have been, the, I mean, at least, yeah, the peace of mind and solved at least some portion of the case. Right. Well, that ends the uh, the information we have on Robert Craig Cox, the person who seems like on paper a very strong candidate, and it's why they are the lead suspect, but technically not enough to uh, to convict. And that then ends openly the case of the uh, missing Springfield Three. God, so much yet so little. Right. Why? Man. Why do these like cases always have? suspects that are just i guess like solid suspects you know what i mean like i know there's this person and this person and this person and they have they all have a rap sheet and they were all within proximity just like damn mm -hmm. it makes me think of the uh of the authorities and the officers you know i imagine them coming to the table and then they need to remove all bias whatever it is you know, if they've met this person, they have to remove that bias. If they've never met the person, they have to remove that bias. Like, whether it's for or against the person, you need to come to the table level-headed and even keeled. Because immediately off the bat, all of the people we just discussed had some sort of tangible reason to be on the table. And uh, I just can't imagine being in a situation, especially for an unsolved case like this, and needing to dive in there and try to figure it out. But, man... Bless Kathy Baird over here, who's trying to run this like internet group and get to the bottom of this to the point where they're investigating this psychic. They're act like they're hiring mechanical engineers to scan parking structures. It seems like the, the private sector is doing more for this case than the authorities <laughs> yeah. are. So hey, hats off to you, Ms. Baird. Uh, but I, but I guess like the authorities. Well, I mean, there's a lot of red tape i'm assuming that's oh yeah for sure and yeah. and i get it you know there's liabilities to consider there's yeah i mean you know. that's what i'm we're assuming but right, it's just right. uh bust man. that parking lot wide open get in there man i we need some sort of like chaotic good some some person to call in like a 
okay, I'm not going to put any ideas out there lest I end up in a in an interrogation with the FBI. Right, exactly. Uh, some uh, sort of a Deadpool case scenario where otherwise that parking garage is somehow easily searchable. I, you let your mind wander I mean, on what that means. My mind wandered there and I was like, ah, well, hold on. Uh, I've been watching too much Marvel lately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but man, yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. It's, uh, you know, I I think what we should do, Christian, we should, uh, queue up an episode here in the near term that resolves. I know we've done a couple that have some resolution to them, but maybe, uh, maybe we need a happy ending sometime to kind of clean our palates. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I mean, maybe we just kind of get, uh, we kind of, um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Uh-huh. Know, maybe we have it like a regular episode and then right before we get the answer we kind of try and guess or i'll try and guess like what the what the real answer is i i stopped there in the middle of me kind of like throwing that idea out there because i was like wait there could be a world where you read it like this trevor and then we take we both take our guesses right and then christian mm-hmm. reveals to us the actual answer so we can both get our guesses in on yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like uh, a choose your own investigation where you don't get to choose anything except the answer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I the, like the audience that. at home can also, you know, take their guess. Yeah, well you can get your task force stuff out. You can uh, get your notepads out, start taking notes and figure this out with us. You know, what? speaking of the task force, natural segue, self high five. Mm. Um, we've got the task force merch out came out about two weeks ago. And within the day, you guys bought out the badge. Or the little button, the little pin. So thank you all so much. I'm not sure at the time of this recording, because we are recording in advance. I don't know, you know, what is still in stock. But I just wanted to say thank you all so much for coming out, supporting the show in this way. It really does mean a lot to us. And it all does come to us on this show to support future episodes. And, uh, you know, we're ideating around Christian and I talking about what the future of Red Web looks like. Is it... Uh, is there some sort of animated series around it? Is there a show? Is there a scripted series around? There's a lot of ideas we have on the table, and I'm really, really stoked to get in there. So all the proceeds from all of this, these merch sales and listenings to this podcast and stuff come right back into the show and, and growing it. So I mean, I got, I've got three things. One, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm already see, we're already seeing the, uh, the love and support. Um, yeah. People have been tweeting that they've you know, picked up what their favorite things are from the merch store. Uh, two, when we do that episode where we have to take a guess and actually find, you know, the answer is revealed. You can't wear the pin unless you guess it right. Let's just be real. Like you, yeah. you, you can throw, you know, you can display the pin. You can't put on the pin unless you're you gotta really, hand, yeah, you yeah. gotta earn that badge. Okay. Hand in your badge. Um, if you don't get it right. Yeah. Honor rules. Third, you know, all these cool ideas are being uh, put on the table. I will say what fell off the table is, uh, myself going to said places and investigating the spooky <laughs> stuff that is off the table that fell off it got lost somewhere and i think it's burnt and buried into the ground well that is our first unsolved mystery <laughs> we're gonna have to dig in there and figure out what happened but uh but yeah no if you want to support us like i mentioned in the in the store it is store.roosterteeth.com thank you all so much again but yeah with that said fredo another mystery in the books i will see you back here on monday for another mystery. Yeah, you will. Bye, everybody. Bye.